0: Alright everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome back to another uh weekly roundup. You got Santi, you got me. Uh, I'm I'm coming at you guys a little little sick today. So if uh you hear you you uh hear some sniffles. I apologize in advance. Santi, how you doing?
1: <laughs> I thought it was I thought the sniffles were something related to like crypto existential, you know, disillusionment and really just bottoming out. Uh Do you
0: think I was crying or did you think I was like doing a lot of drugs? What 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 uh cuz both are kind of like
1: disillusionment with crypto. <laughs> That's a great question. I, I think you were just like, you know, really disillusioned with the space. But then all of a sudden the market rips and we're up like, you know, 2x on some things and everyone seems to, you know, be, be really happy and all. So, no, I, I can't complain. I'm doing great. You know, uh, you know, really excited for this roundup. Uh, we skipped last week, but there's some really interesting developments. And yeah, why don't we kick it off?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry we skipped last week, guys. We uh, Blockworks had our company offsite last week. We went to uh, Spooky Savannah, Georgia. Uh, learned down there that it's the most haunted city in the whole world, so we did a ghost tour. Um, aside from that, it's a pretty. I mean, but Jason, city.
1: it's pretty <laughs> ironic. Like, what could possibly scare you after the entire like last twelve months in crypto? I guess like you lose, you become numb. You know, what's, a lot funny? Of you know
0: what's funny? You know We did we did a ghost tour, so we did a ghost tour of Savannah, and uh, you know the the guys like giving us a tour. It's like kind of a history tour meets like a ghost tour, and he's like, "So, what do you all do?" I heard you're here for like a conference or something. We're like, no, it's our company offsite. It's like, oh, nice. What kind of company do you do? I always say like, I was like, it's a financial media brand. Like I usually don't get into crypto stuff. And he's like, oh, like what kind of finance? And it's like, oh, it's a crypto company. And he's like, oh, crypto. He goes, I love NFTs. He goes, I'm staking my NFTs. Have you heard of it? And he starts, you know, going off on like, "Have you heard about this NFT collection? This DeFi platform?" I hadn't heard of any of them, but I was like, "Oh man, mass adoption, baby!" When your Savannah tour guy is uh, is into NFTs.
1: <laughs> okay, let me ask you a question. Do you still struggle? And when you go to a random get asked, "What do you do?" Do you avoid telling people that you're in crypto still? I still, if I'm at like a I think it actually
0: probably depends. I mean, it definitely depends on the group, but if I'm at, you know, I was, I was back home. I was at a, my cousin's wedding back home in San Francisco and hanging out with an age group of, I'd say like 50 to 70. And if people who I don't know in that group ask me what I do, say I run a financial media brand in New York. Yeah. 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 And, And if they say, if they dig further and they're like, Oh, so I mean, tell me about it. Or like, like, tell me a little more. I'm like, ah, like, you know, like Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg, we've basically created something similar for crypto. That's my, like, one-line spiel for folks who know nothing about crypto.
1: Yeah. I, I The only time I – like, I don't feel ashamed, obviously, but I do – Sometimes look back and I say it was kind of unnecessary because it becomes like the central topic of a conversation. In a ripping bull market, everyone's—you're the most popular guy in the party. All of a sudden, everyone surrounds. Like, which NFT should I buy? Where should I stake my tokens? Like, and, and and obviously, you know, it's so. And then in a true like bear market, like we're in now, everyone's like. Oh, wow. Like, you know, are you doing okay? Like, do you want to drink? And I was like, no, like, I'm, I'm okay. Like, it's, uh, do, you, do you want to drink? <laughs> or, or like, Oh, wow. Like, yeah, it's a scam. And like, they, they all of a sudden start like berating you of like, what's the point of crypto? And you're like, I just came here to talk and just like, talk about non-crypto. Like my 99% of my time is spent on crypto Twitter. Like, can I just, you know, but yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, it's interesting.
0: All right. So today we're talking about stage three of the bear market, apathy. Some, uh had some tough conversations with companies I invested in this week and just want to, I mean, I'll anonymize them, but want to share some of those stories and just, I think, share some of the way, uh, share some of the feelings that I think uh, folks are going through right now because uh, I think a lot of people are going, uh, ha- having a bit of a tough time right now. want to talk about that. Maybe we can touch on Aptos. Aptos is like the only thing ripping right now. I um, also want to talk, on, uh, talk about CCTP, uh, Circles Cross-Chain Transfer Portal, and then uh, Doodle's announcement moving over to Flow. So I, I think maybe a good place to start. Ooh, you know what? First thing is permissionless. I saw in our Slack channel, I don't know if this has gone out on Twitter yet, but new speakers. I was looking through the new speakers because we have a marketing and an, and an events channel. we got Justin, uh, Justin Drake. We've got Christine Moy, who leads Crypto at Apollo. We've got Vance and Michael from Framework. Sure enough, I see Santi's face pop up. So, Santi, we're, we're excited to
1: have you at Permissionless, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I, I, I'm i really excited to, to be invited back, given that last year I was unable to, to make it. It was very much weather-related. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm very excited for that. And Austin's a great city. So, it's an Austin, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I'm really excited about that. Get your tickets. If you guys are listening on Friday, you just
0: missed the ticket for the last... Again, every two weeks, we increase the price of the tickets. There were 312 bucks. Now they're three hundred and fifty-two bucks. They're going to go up to four hundred bucks, and then they go to five hundred, and then they go to six hundred. I forget what the actual price increase. I think we increase the prices like five or seven and a half or ten percent every two weeks. So, get your tickets. All right. So, uh, let's 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 talk about uh, Chow. So Ch- Chow had this tweet, um, and he said, "For crypto professionals, the second year of the bear market tends to be the most painful one. It's the year of apathy." There seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel, but simply being aware of this gives you a massive edge. Year three, things will get much better. This is the year you start to question your assumptions. You ask yourself why you're in this space in the first place. Your coworkers are leaving. Your friends and the media don't care about you anymore. Your growth metrics seem stuck no matter how hard you try. Power through. And... um so we had this offsite in Savannah and at all of our offsites Mike and I kick off the offsite and we have this like i don't know how long the, the presentation was probably like 90 minute presentation to kick off the offsite and one of the sections was about where are we in the cycle and like how are we feeling about things it's kind of big state of the union state of the nation presentation and we kind of we we walked the company through these four phases of the bear market phase number 1 and i'll, I'll lay out how how we see it i'm curious if you see it the same way phase 1 is the blow up so this was November of last year, we topped out of November, 2021, we top out December, January, from November to uh, to mid January, we we cranked down from like 68K, Bitcoin 68K to like maybe Bitcoin at around 30K. So like that was the blow up. And the blow up is categorized by like euphoria rolls over, the leverage blows out, rapid price changes. And I think the the main enemy that you're facing there is just fear is like this holy shit moment. So that's phase one. Phase two is the fallout. And that's what we were facing this summer. That's when Luna blew up, Three Arrows blew up. Every, the the feeling in the industry changes to uh, disenchantment. Um, and that's when like, every I think that phase can be categorized by like, everyone's angry. Everyone's looking for someone to blame. And this is when you saw people really getting riled up about like, Mashinsky and uh Kyle and suzu and 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 doe, like you're looking for like you're looking for for someone to blame basically and that that's the fallout. Phase three is what we're going into right now, and I think we've entered it. I think we're officially in phase three of the bear market, and that's boredom um and and apathy um this is categorized by like unless you're really deep into the space unless you're very crypto native, I would say there's this is categorized by complete silence, lack of attention peak floor in, in like overall, not just prices, but inattention. And the enemy here for people in the industry is boredom. The enemy is not disenchantment. It's not fear, it's boredom. And I think, I don't know how long this lasts, but that's phase three. And then phase four, what I'm looking for next is, is the rebirth. This is like sparks of hope. You know, the price of uh, Bitcoin could go from like 15 to 30K. No one will even talk about it. No one will mention a bear market rally. no one will even get excited about new projects. all sparks of hope get brushed off and I think the enemy in in phase four is disbelief so that that's the way that we presented it to the company i'm cu- I'm curious to get your take on how you feel about that and especially your take around this phase three I think boredom that we're that we're entering into right now
1: I think it's well established cycles of market psychology and I've observed that that happens in his like previously in other crypto cycles I've seen three now very much kind of they're all slightly different but very much follow the same psychological pattern I think I do agree we're entering into this apathy phase although there are some really exciting developments and it, it's difficult because my perspective is you have to wonder you know your eco chamber in Twitter there is a lot of excitement around certain developments. Shanghai liquid staking derivatives there are we talk a lot about narratives in this podcast crypto has very much expanded and now covers so many different verticals that at any given moment in time like there are very exciting hot narratives they could be like shooting stars they might like burst and and go into flames and then die off fairly quickly and so categorically like in a broad stroke I generally do think that we're in this phase of apathy. If you z- really zoom out and say, by and large, relative to where we were in the peak, yeah, certainly like a lot of people have left. A lot of people have questioned why this all matters. And the key there is like, Xiao, I think, crystallizes it fairly well, which is personally, as someone involved in the industry, when you see a lot of this fallout and this pain and fraud, you, you do. It's difficult. I think you fundamentally question, like, where where are we going? Even though there are really exciting developments, but you're. A Kane said this to me um, at the bottom of last um, bear market. This was January 2019. He said, "You know, you're in a bear market," and I think he was hinting at the phase of the bear market that we're in now, which is apathy. When any development, any announcement. Positive one of new products that we're launching. He says he said at the time, the token just drops because people are reminded that they hold a bag and then they just sell (laughs) whatever is left. Now I'm not sure we're in that phase now because fair. Like to be fair, even though a lot of prices have gone down in a similar manner or last cycle, we're down not 90 percent, 95 percent, and sure enough, some of these assets have like gone up at 2x, you know, since the since the bottom. Um. You know, I, I still think that it's going to take a while to get rid of this skepticism, disillusionment. Um, and I'll be, you know, I think I'd be remiss not to say like it has impacted me, even though the thing that gives me the most amount of comfort is talking to founders, because I de- tend to think that investors are more impacted by the psychology, whereas builders just keep the head, their heads down and, you know, are, are fairly more, um, like detached from this psychological curve, but you mentioned that you talked to founders. So I'm really curious to understand Yeah, how they're feeling because when you, I think yeah. when you see founders categorically be more impacted by it, I think that's where you're close to the bottom.
0: Right. Um, well, for, first off I'll, I'll share those stories in a second, but it's funny, like talking to you, you said, talking to builders, like gives you a little hope. You also mentioned like crypto Twitter and, this like echo chamber that we're in i was trying to think back to 2018 and 2019 when mike and i were trying to get blockworks off the ground i didn't know that we were in a cycle i didn't know that we were in a bear market i was just like oh the prices are going down so like you just keep building you just like there, that, that that doesn't impact how you build um and i actually think that but, but in for, the- for you right you're
1: going to report
0: I mean, I would almost say sometimes no, but, bear markets no, are no, like even better for important. It doesn't matter what we were building back then. I think it was like you just, especially for first-time founders in crypto, I think it's really easy for you and me to, and for a lot of people who have been in the industry since 2017 uh, or 2015 or 2013 to be like, oh, this is another cycle. We got to get through this cycle. There's a lot of people who came in in the 2020, really 2021 like NFT bull market and 2020 DeFi bull market that like, they're kind of just like, all right, I mean, this is just what happens. You just kind of keep building. Um, yeah. and, and actually, I think that crypto Twitter is your best friend in, in a bear market. Funny enough. Um, hmm. I know people say that like, get off crypto Twitter. It's the bear market. Get to building. I think that crypto Twitter is your best friend in a bear market and your enemy in a in a, in a bull market. In a bull market, you have an extreme, at least I do, an extreme amount of FOMO for everything. Go into every day during the bull market. Go into crypto Twitter. Mm -hmm. I invested in this, but this other investment made more money. We're building this, but a competitor's building this, and it seems like this is doing well. Extreme amount of FOMO in a bear market. I'm like, oh my god, there's so much going on in the industry to be excited about. Super cool developments with MEV. Really interesting stuff happening with bridges that like Circle's doing. Uh, Very exciting developments in the in the liquid staking develop uh, uh, liquid staking derivative space. Um, Really. Mm -hmm cool uh like like these nft projects making interesting decisions um and i just think like to me there's a ton going on if you didn't spend time on crypto twitter you're like oh crypto's dead so i've found crypto Twitter to be a, a place of hope right now
1: yeah although to be like i definitely agree with you i think the most important thing you said there is you've been through this before and there are a lot of like when you think about the adoption curve overlaid with this market psychology curve the sheer number of people that have entered in this last cycle is, I think, uh, a multiple of what entered in 2017. And so every subsequent cycle, I think you're going to expect just more people that are new to the space experiences pretty brutal volatility that you, that is just inherent of early stage technology. The new paradigm here is obviously that you have a greater price discovery or attempted price discovery through 24-7, 365 markets. Whereas you didn't have that in the internet because the internet, you had the the, the the boom and bust like of 99, but it was fairly, I guess there was a lot of retail investors that got hit by that because companies were going public m- much faster. And, but in crypto, you know, companies go public, like, I guess, like day one, right? Um, and, and so it involves much more people like to think about this, Ethereum is a piece of technology that's created the most amount of millionaires and billionaires, I think by far. Like, and so it's just this virtue that people can invest in that, in, in a lot of these projects. And they go through that pain. And, you know, when you think about like something like FTX, there's a million people that were affected. And a lot of them has been their only experience with crypto. And so, or Terra, you know, and and I think that's what is quite different. Um, We've talked about this before. I think the the bar is much higher for those people that perhaps have left the space. And in order for them to come back, this idea of like how adoption curves happen is like this viral coefficient. So you learn about crypto, and then you tell five people, and those five people tell other five people or three people. And so it's just it's factorial, right? It's like exponential. It goes both ways, right? It can be very positive and very negative, right? Uh like positive and negative. Like uh and so, you know, I think still the what's still fairly been Although we're in apathy phase, I'm very surprised still that there are are NFT projects, new mints that are getting a lot of attention. And the NFT pocket of crypto is sort of, I I don't want to say totally insulated, but behaving, you know, somewhat like unrelated, um, kind of just doing its own thing. Um, and, And so new people are coming to the space they might not be interested in, you know, l2s and DeFi or whatever but there's still a fair amount of activity in the nft land that wasn't the case yeah, yeah. last cycle all
0: right so i got i've got the i've got a couple stories from these founders Yeah, so yeah I had three we'll calls with founders this week i'm going to anonymize all of them um just a ridiculous amount of respect for, for these guys um one of them uh I'm trying to figure out how much how much to share so so one of them Basically, one of them is pivoting. I'll just go really high level here. One of them is completely pivoting the company, um, and is like really excited about the pivot, but is like completely pivoting the company. And I think that's symbolic of things that happen in bear market is like these full blown pivots. Because in a bull market, everything's working. In a bear market, you're like, if I don't pivot, I could I could be done. Um, completely pivoting, trying to raise another round seems to be going well. So that's one company. The other one, in, and and they're feeling super excited. The other one is incredibly dejected because. They are in their minds operating better than they've ever operated, but every single number that they track, volume, users, everything is tanking. And I think that's super symbolic of a bear market where like you can be you can be running 100 miles per hour, you can be running through a brick wall and like the numbers just don't really move. And one thing that we told Blockworks at the offside is like in a bull market, one unit of output will get seen as like, or one, one, you, you input one unit and you get one, one output the next day, for example, like you do, you do something productive and you'll see the output the next day or the next week in a bear market. Oftentimes you, you do something productive and you don't see the output for like 12 to 18 months. And that can be really discouraging. So I think the second founder is feeling really dejected. And I, and I really understand that and empathize with that. And, And the third, the third one, unfortunately, uh, had a, big founder dispute They're at this point in the business where like they had this founder dispute. One wants to go one way. The other wants to go another way. They couldn't come to an agreement and they've decided to shut down. So, and that's just a real, yeah. Um, and the, these, like, I just really feel for them. And I just think these are things that happen in, in bear markets and it's tough. And I just, like, I think a lot of folks are going through this, but like, you don't see that on on Twitter. You don't
1: see people sharing those stories. So. Uh, it's very interesting. I've had actually three calls to in the last week and a half and very similar pattern. <clears throat> one of them, um, the two co-founders, one of them at, wants to exit crypto, doesn't believe in it anymore. And the other one does, but they have these disputes around ownership, of course, and they're going through that. The other one it, company is questioning, like they hasn't, hasn't found product market fit and have limited resources and are saying, look, we have X amount of runway. It's decent. It's over a year, but. We just want to pivot and do something else, um, and and the other one is actually doing fairly well, and they want to double down and raise more capital. And the exist it's largely going to be existing investors that are going to give that. Um, and so, I was talking to a few other folks that invest, and I think what is one, you know, we always talk about like product. Well, I think in bear market in bull markets, product market fit. Um, is can be disguised and you can punt that to some extent. You have more margin. Whereas, you know, a bear market's more brutal, right? It will tell you to your point if things are not working and you're just, you're just throwing stuff that you think is really cool and innovative, but no one's there. No one cares. And it's really difficult to iterate and, and, and understand if you're navigating and string the right course. Um, And this goes back to the theory of if I look back to like some of the more successful DeFi projects, they kind of grinded through this. I'm thinking about AME Compound, Synthetics Maker, Synthetics, for example, started as a stablecoin project called Haven. It was actually the largest ICO raise and the fastest, and it sort of ticked up the absolute top of the ICO craziness. And then they went through this kind of transition where they said stablecoins are not going to work. Bases shut down. They had to pivot. And they said a synthetic stablecoin. Well, you can express that and, and pivot it to a, a generalized synthetic like uh, synthetic platform. And seeing that pivot, uh, even though they were fairly well capitalized, it was difficult. And they were building a what is still a fairly complicated, difficult thing to understand. What saved them, I think, and it did very well was surround themselves with a very small but vocal and engaged community in their Discord, like the synthetic Discord channel. To this day, is just very. Active. What do they call them? The Spartans or something? The, the Spartans, yeah. And, and so I think that was. It goes to this theory of you'd rather have like ten or hundred diehard fans than a million, you know, kind of not so engaged, um, you know, users, if you will, because those are the guys that are going to give you really good product feedback. And I think for any founder listening here, I think, you know if you have a discord, identify those people that are really active in the community, because they're going to be the ones that are going to help you navigate when nothing you seems to be working. Yeah. Um, um, and then when that spark phase of the, of the market, you know, we're entering into, into that spark phase. Um, you know, that's where I think you'll be rewarded, but it could take, who knows, right? Timing is really difficult.
0: So, so let me, let me share a trend that I see. Um, that I saw companies do, that I see companies doing right now, saw companies do in 2018 and 2019, including Blockworks. I'll share a really embarrassing story that Blockworks did. Uh, and then that I saw even happen in the past, or that I heard happened in the past bear market. I wasn't in the space, but I, I heard happened. So, in a lot of the talks with founders, I think a lot of the disputes are, for example, in this, there's this one company that I'm invested in. One founder wants to go one way, another founder wants to go the other way. One of the founder wants to, what I'd say, chase short term cash really scared about cash flow the other one wants to like build what is it 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 will be a very successful thing and i'm i'm sure of it it's just going to take another 12 months um and and the like immediate cash flow is not really there um i think there's a tendency to get really scared about cash flow and in one in in a bear market and on one hand it's um, you should you should be scared of cash flow and there's this great book Andy Grove like only the paranoid survive and you should like opt you should cut your burn and you should get to ca- cash flow positive if even possible um some of these companies are too too early to do that but i actually think optimizing for cash flow can hurt companies um and can be a really uh can be a fault if you try to do it too early and I have two two stories to share here. One is um, one is actually Coinbase. For people who are at Coinbase in 2015, you should fact check this story. But uh, w- would love to hear from you guys. But the story that I've heard about Coinbase is: Do you remember the enterprise blockchain? You Remember enterprise blockchain? And like it started to get kind of pushed in 2016. By 2017, it was like all the rage. Those are the commercials on TV. It was like Walmart's moving their supply chain onto the blockchain. Thanks to IBM's blockchain platform, you can now track yeah, Hyperledger.
1: Like, Korda, Hyperledger. Do you remember? You remember like mangoes?
0: It used to take like forty-eight
1: days to track a mango, and now you can track. Yeah, a mango. yeah. It's like we're gonna track minutes. and trace. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna reinvent yeah. supply chains, and you know, like pharmaceuticals and providence, and all this is gonna get solved. Yeah,
0: yeah. This here here uh, Walmart and blockchain. First off, they spelled blockchain. Wait, let me let me read you this. This is this is amazing. November twenty seventeen walmart and blockchain first off blockchain is two words block space chain it takes two to mango this was walmart's uh this is walmart's push is that they were gonna oh man this is amazing to read uh basically it took a long time to track a mango uh the supply chain of a mango and and a blockchain would solve that anyways didn't enterprise blockchain didn't make sense at all coinbase though coinbase launched um i forget when like 2013 or something and didn't have much success. And then like all, all of a sudden it went really parabolic as they helped people buy crypto and, and hold their crypto. Then the bear market hit and everything fell apart. Like their user numbers tanked, user numbers tanked like 98%. Revenue also tanked like 95 to 98%. The board of Coinbase was really pushing Brian Armstrong to get into enterprise blockchain and to go sell software for enterprise block for like banks to help banks Get into and adopt enterprise blockchain. And Brian, and you know, their their argument was probably what a lot of VCs are doing today, which is like, hey, cash flow, we need to make money. You're thinking about this esoteric thing in the future, crypto markets, we're thinking about the money today. And Brian, to his credit, at least from what I've heard, was like, we're not doing enterprise blockchain. I'm just we're not doing that. And other folks did go do that and they chased that and it didn't work. Um, and it's, I just love that story because it, it so that was, that was the 2015 bear market. For Blockworks, I was reminded the other day. I went to me- uh, I messaged, I pulled up my DMs with Kyle Samani, and the last DM I had with him on Twitter was from mid 2019. I said, "Hey man, good." <laughs> said so we hosted the Blockworks hosted the MultiCoin Summit in 2019. I said, "Hey Kyle, good meeting at the MultiCoin Summit." A bunch of our clients have been asking for influencer ca- campaigns. And your name was brought up would you be ever be open to paid influencer deals with companies like blockfi and gemini to kyle's credit he said no i said cool (laughs) good good talk right uh but it reminded me blockworks in the heart of the bear market in 2019 we were needed money so badly and we're this bootstrap company we started spinning up influencer marketing deals for brands as basically just an agent an influencer agency now the good is that that helped us survive. The bad is that like we quickly realized that's not a good business and like not a business yeah. we wanted to be in.
1: But, you know, there there's some things that um, it, it's Elad Gill, who's a very well-known investor, yeah. angel investor, has a great book. I think it's a growth manifesto or something. And he talks about certain anecdotes. Some Yes, the growth handbook. High, Great book. High growth handbook. It's was really good. Yeah. Very practical. Um, good resource. One of the more interesting things is sometimes you do things that don't scale to survive. Airbnb sold cereal boxes during the presidential campaigns to like, and that hustle of both the founders impressed Paul. I think it was at Y Combinator that then they got in last minute and that grit. And this is a point that I want to bring up because I just read a book. Uh, by Ann uh, Drucker and and Duke. Annie Duke. She first wrote a great book called Grid. Uh, yes, Thinking in Bets. And then she just wrote a new book called Quit, which talks about a fairly interesting concept, which is most of the time we're really bad at quitting because there's a collective idea that you need to persevere and you, know, you, you grind through it. And the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I think it's sometimes a, a thing that we don't talk about enough in this conversation with these founders, I've had had to like ask myself, well, maybe the best choice here is to return capital versus to go through another cycle with your founder. Or if you haven't found product market fit, if you're not, if there's no like viable product, just return capital. And I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough, but sometimes is the right thing to do. And I've seen now two companies return capital uh one that was building an entire ecosystem that had to shut down and was like going through this motion and kind of had a existential crisis and was like look you're great founders i think a great founder will probably probabilistically get his existing investor base to invest in the next thing he does if they return capital and they show that maturity and you know it, it's it's a very difficult thing to do but this the general concept of this book is most of the time when you look back, when you think you've quit at the right time, it's too late. And and so it's just an interesting concept because in crypto, we talk about hodl culture, grinding it through, believing in a long-term vision. But sometimes the idea might not work. It's too early and it's okay to just survive and take time to observe and You know, it was just a really interesting perspective because uh, I don't know what you think about that. And if you felt that at times in the early days of Blockworks, like, did you ever have this existential crisis? Did you ever think about quitting? Did you ever have this kind of discussion with uh, Mike? Not really. We
0: couldn't. We couldn't. We our whole rep. Our whole it it was all. It was all. I mean, no, not really. Honestly, like, no, we we didn't. I mean. I remember like we. I remember one day when we had beers in 2019, and like I remember specifically the conversation of like, what would you go do if we weren't doing Blockworks, or like maybe it was like, what industry would you work in if you weren't? I, mean, I think those were two questions that we asked. What would you do if you weren't doing mm-hmm. Blockworks, and what industry would you work in if it wasn't crypto? Today, I would never. There's nothing else I would do. I don't know. I'd work in crypto still. And like, I would, I don't know. I couldn't see another option outside of Blockworks, but like that was definitely maybe in the back of our mind. But no, I don't think we ever thought about crypto, probably because our whole reputation relied on Blockworks. We were like, we were the first ones of anyone we knew to go do crypto full time. And like the amount of shit that we got, I mean, it was like, you're going to go do what? Host cryptocurrency events for that blockchain thing? you're going to do it full time. You're going to quit your good jobs that you got like, Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I think everyone was basically waiting for us to like come back to the real world and like come back to our, our real jobs, you know? So yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't have a good answer to this. I, I do practice quitting when I run. Like there's some times the race is right. Just, you know, it's not your day. That's it. It's easier to practice it then and there. I think as an investor where I, like whenever I make an investment, I like to think about scenarios where I would quit, where I would exit, and have a framework in mind thinking in probability, saying if I do a 5x, then then I take chips off the table. Like systematically. And thinking about that probability, thinking like in Bayesian theory, I think was really helpful to then say like what is the probability if something has gone up X, for it to go up another X, or am I better off allocating my capital elsewhere? And I think it's ultimately, it's really difficult to give like these broad-based, like generalized advice because my, what I like to think is everyone has a very unique perspective, journey and position. And so when you look at crypto Twitter, when you look at people like giving this advice, it's like, well, it really depends on your time horizon, your your liquidity position. The most important thing that I think, and you mentioned it is, you know just position yourself to be patient and to have the opportunity to take more time uh, because the biggest mistakes i've done are f- feeling rushed into a decision either because i'm under some sort of stress like i you didn't have cash flow in the last cycle and you had to sell some tokens at the very bottom or near the bottom I had so many people see that and like go through that phase uh and so you know i think those were my biggest learnings from, from the past cycles. It's kind of, it's kind of a fool's errand to start thinking about like, have we, is this a bear trap or, you know, have we really bottomed? It's uh, I think the, the other thing that I, I do definitely agree with what you just said is I think the more time you spend in this space, it's fairly difficult to say that, you know, this is going to die. And, you know, it's almost like you open a door, you see the future. It's hard to imagine the next like crypto not being a fundamental piece of fabric of like how we do things in the next maybe 10 years. Now, how we get there is the most difficult thing. And so you just assume the journey is going to be very difficult and you then do everything in your power to have enough resources, fuel, water, granola, whatever it is in this pike. To be able to grind it through, because you know it's still going to be very. Is this, is this still a running difficult. analogy? You lost, I'm, you lost I'm, me. At, I'm trying at, to saying that you group when you uh... look. Sports, <laughs> sports analogies are the best because I think it's or when you're hiking, like I, I just, I just got it's very relatable. So, anyways, yeah, that's that's all I'll say.
0: I also have the feeling of quitting when I run, but the difference is, I usually have that feeling at like a quarter of a mile. <laughs> I think you can you can usually go go longer than I do there. So, it <laughs> yeah, I I actually think one. I mean, one thing that I think. Um, one thing that I think influences your decision on to quit or not to quit was how much time you put into the decision yeah. of what to do, of, of to do it or not to do it. Like I, I have a friend, he's always starting new things you know every 4 months he's starting a new thing every quarter he's got a new thing he's got a new like d2c one one quarter it's a d2c pop-up website selling like you know this little massage tool <laughs> the, the next quarter it's like he's like he he hacked the system for how to create like a best-selling book the next the next quarter it's like a newsletter and um and then and then and then he quits them and yeah. the reason i think that that's okay to quit those things is cuz those ideas were created on like a spark of excitement. There wasn't much thought that went into them. Um, I've seen other companies in crypto do it too. Uh, I think one exercise to do is like a really good exercise to do is that I don't think many first time founders do is like, what's the end state of this look like? Because one thing that you'll notice if you look at a lot of crypto companies from this last cycle is like they all, a lot of them kind of converge to be the same thing. So Back in 2017 and 2018, a lot of infrastructure companies were raising uh, were raising money to be like, you know, to help with crypto as crypto became institutionalized and like the infrastructure needed for that. So you had custodians being created. You had lend and borrow platforms being created. I was like BlockFi and Celsius and Nexo and those folks. You had the custodians being created like Anchorage and BitGo and, and Fireblocks. You had um, the trading platforms being created. Eventually, after like three or four or five years, they all converged. To be the same thing those are all you're, they're all creating one version of either a prime broker or a crypto bank and in media it's the same thing some people start with newsletters some start with conferences some mm-hmm. people start with news some start with data some start with research i can assure you everyone will end up competing on the same thing which is like full stack media and information platforms that combine news with like opinion stuff like newsletters and podcasts with data mm-hmm. with research all ends in the same space. So I think one thing to think about before you jump into it is like, what what's your end state here? Okay, you're going to nail ETH custody. Like, cool, you're going to do that better than anyone else. All right, what happens next? You're going to have to introduce a way to make money because custody is not a money-making yeah. business.
1: So Yeah, yeah. On, this, um, on this point, of, I've been thinking a lot about, I think a big theme this year is going to be some regulatory clarity. I may be wrong, but I, I think it's closer than ever and push back yeah well well let's just assume we're going to get it in the next 12 24 months i think it has been difficult as a project i'm not talking about a crypto service provider i'm talking about a native crypto native project has a token thinking about token design has been fairly constrained in the sense that we've been thinking about governance tokens and monetization has been something that has been on the backseat because, because of like the securities laws and, you know, you don't want to confer like a promise of profit and relying on the effort of others and the how we test basically. And, you know, I think like, I have an open question here. I'd like to have another regulatory podcast where we talk about, okay, imagine a world where if these things are deemed securities, some, is that a, would be existential for like, A lot of these projects and meaning would it create a very burdensome like would it create like would it make it impossible for them overly expensive to like comply and i i do think of a scenario where it's really not i mean a lot of this data is on chain a lot of the smart contracts are deployed everything is readable for everyone you think about edgar sec the thing that of course needs to be emphasized is these disclosures that happen on discord channels, but maybe you just post and there's an API that reads and stuff on a website that is like, you know, the Edgar SEC of crypto or, you know, the FCA's version. I don't know, but I think like, you know, a lawyer will give you his perspective. And I've heard this numerous times, which is like, it would be impossible for a token issuer to like, operate it's so expensive think about like companies going public it's a very expensive thing costs millions of dollars but is it really and is it really that bad if something gets deemed a security it's just an open question because i think if if it is and i don't have an opinion here i'm just saying if it is then we will go back to the drawing board and say all right well let's actually design the uni token to be the most profitable exchange that the world has ever seen. And one of the more like I've always felt that crypto companies are highly efficient, like labs, crypto like companies that develop a piece of protocol and deploy it. And then have some sort of like are able to monetize that. You're talking about like comparing Coinbase. We've all seen these comparisons. We can link them up. I did it once, which is compare a game studio like Axie to a normal game developer like Sony and Activision. Blizzard compare Uniswap to Coinbase a normal centralized exchange these pieces of technology and protocols once deployed are self-maintaining and on the margin like they just the unit economics of that I think are the best of anything I've ever seen and I was a soft like I was investing in enterprise software before really going full-time into crypto and all you look at is unit economics and so The issue now is, well, what is the relationship between Uniswap Labs and the UNI token? The UNI token, like Dejan Spartan keeps saying, well, these are all worthless governance tokens. And in large part, you know, he's right. Like, what is actually the value? Okay, well, then we figure out, like, Curve Wars, and you have, there's value in voting power because that influences certain things. And But I just, a part of me says, let's just call these things, like, let's just get some clarity because... That's the biggest problem, I think, at this point. Whereas you're in this like weird limbo where it's a governance token, but it's a highly profitable protocol. What's going on? You know what I mean? So
0: Yeah. All right. So maybe going off maybe maybe going off that, Santi, like regulation leads to like better business models, a little more like sound fundamentals in cryptos, uh, in cryptos, good transition into aptos, uh, which is up four hundred percent in thirty days. Um I'm assuming you were a seed investor or early. Um what's going on here? <laughs> why are why are we pumping? Is this just like a nice little crypto Twitter bear market pump?
1: I honestly have no idea. I think uh, I mean it's it's on a relative basis more uh, like up more than like something like Solana, which is up like to a little bit more than 2x, right? At bottom to 9 and but I, I actually don't have any idea.
0: Hmm. What uh, what price range did seed investors get Aptos at?
1: Uh, I'm not sure that's public information, so I'll defer to comment. Like, I'll... all right, let me let
0: me maybe let me rephrase it then. How do you think about? Are you can are you able to sell Aptos tokens right now?
1: No, no, they're locked. Yeah. I mean, is it worth 13.6 billion or something? Like, it's an interesting question. I think a lot of the, a lot of the, what I've observed is competing L1s trade on a very relative basis. And, you know, if Ethereum is worth a hundred, what is it? 174, 200 billion or so. Um, yeah, 200 billion, uh, with some, like, some inflation then what should a competing platform trade at? and then you look at okay what is you know some of the other l1s trade at? cosmos avalanche uh, solana and so i think it's it, it goes back to this question of how do we price crypto assets and what is the monetization model for these crypto assets and you know I think it's fairly it's gonna take a lot of time for the for the market to converge. I don't think the market is sophisticated enough to look at this on a fundamental basis. It's really just relative valuation that we're looking at here. You do have some like arguably things to go off of to value a network like Ethereum that has pretty sound like some interesting properties from a cash flow perspective, uh with the IP fifteen fifty-nine and some other components of staking and you know, float and some there's like a number of ways that you can kind of try to compare this like to like a normal internet like company. Um, the former analyst uh, James, who was at arc did a great uh, has a great uh, analysis and he sort of compares like Google to Ethereum. So we can link that. Um, and yeah, the, the other thing I would say is people should go look at uh, the electric capital developer report just came out last week. I think it's one of the uh, more qualitative and quantitative, because they've been doing it for a few years, of tracking developer activity in some of these networks. Now, I'm not suggesting that, like, you know, people look at that and then they, you know, it has an immediate market reaction uh, or impact in the market. But I think it, it tends to be one of the higher signals that I look at um, to then indicate, OK, there's a lot of developers that are migrating to Aptos, for instance, from Solana to Aptos, as an example. Maybe, maybe not. But I think that's some of the other really interesting um, kind of data points that you can look at to kind of triangulate to some relative sense or fundamental sense of valuation mm-hmm. for these things.
0: Sandeep, let me ask you this, because when I think about you and your L1 thesis, I think of you as a very ETH, all, all in on ETH. And like when I bring up other things like maybe Cosmos or Solana, I would say you're quite interested and like open to exploring them, but like your thesis is, is, is built in, is like an EVM ETH heavy thesis. Why then invest in like an Aptos? What's your thesis around something like that?
1: Well, I'd push back and say, I've been on the record for a long time saying that I believe in a multi-chain thesis in a multi-chain world. And while certainly like a lot of my portfolio is based in Ethereum, um, I have invested in other chains and projects mainly that have been building in other chains. Um, like I built, uh, I've invested in DeFi ecosystem in Solana, um, in Cosmos and near um, Haven't invested in avalanche. Um, I looked at it, seed ground. I, I've been to the conference, but I haven't invested in projects there. Some projects ended up going and building an avalanche. So I have some exposure to some extent um, invested in optos. Um, you know, I think, For me, there's two ways I look at it. One, it could be, a it's a hedge. If there is a version of this world where Ethereum is supplanted and I, as an investor, you cannot miss that. If that happens, you cannot miss that event. If you miss that event, you're kind of dead in the water, in my opinion. You're irrelevant, you fade like, and so you can't miss that. And the second component is, I think we're very early still. And the number of use cases that are gonna develop in this, in crypto, be supported by, you know, trustless execution environments, is going to be, like we're just we're just seeing like as you said s- this concept of Chris Dixon, which is great, skeuomorphic concepts, which is things that exist and we have certain things in Web two land that we're porting over to Web three, but there's so many use cases that are going to pop up. I tend to think that security and we have the Eigenlayer guys on, which I think is an interesting podcast. Um, this idea that Every different application. If you believe one that there are going to be many different use cases for for crypto other than mon- like sound monetary, like something like Bitcoin, then this internet of value supports NFTs today, DeFi, gaming. There will be many other type of business models that will emerge in a similar manner that the smartphone. Like no one really imagined the smartphone for you to invest in the internet in 2002, where people were being critical of the internet. There's great interview with Bill Gates that he was being asked in like in one of those morning talk shows. He's like what are you building like this internet stuff or coming off of the dot-com crash like just go home pivot do something else and you know i think for you to invest in the internet then like it was very difficult to then you had to foresee the full extent of the internet you had to foresee some like smartphones being developed and then software as a service and then everything that came after smartphones: cellular towers and like lte and then tiktok and all these other different applications and how th- how much of that has impacted your daily life is remarkable. I think something similar will happen in crypto. This is why we're here. And that's the reason why I'm here. And I fundamentally believe that it will not be one chain to support all of those use cases. Even though there will be certain standards. But you can not compare how the internet developed one-to-one to how crypto will develop, I think. There might be shared security. There might be different chains for different applications that require different security parameters. And I think it is solely based on the premise that there will be many, many different use cases for this technology that I am not seeing today because my imagination doesn't stretch that far. I recognize that, but then I'm certain that that leads me to invest in other chains because I do believe that a lot of these chains will talk and there'll be d- different galaxies, clusters, that will support a lot of these different environments, kind of like a federation, if you will. I don't want to talk about Star Wars, but I love Star Wars, so I'll use that federation analogy.
0: Have fun sitting on the right side of the bell curve, my friend. must be nice over there. Um, (laughs) Speaking (laughs) of... Yeah, okay. Anyways. (laughs) <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna pivot us into the news because i realized we're 50 minutes in we're supposed to talk about yeah. the news here uh but here's my transition is that i just got a text okay um about a, a new business models uh buzzfeed just announced that they're going to use chat gbt to create content instead of using writers and their stock is up 100 percent today <laughs> yeah so, ai's new
1: crypto man yeah
0: um all right, so I, I think we can keep this relatively short. I just want to talk about two things. One is Circle's CCTP, and mm-hmm. the other is Doodles building on Flow. Maybe we'll say floated until that. And, the and, and, and then I want to, and then I want to, and then I
1: want to talk about one thing at the end, uh, one news piece of it. So why don't you cover those two, and then I'll cover Ooh, one, right. one more. All right. Uh,
0: ba- basically, I mean, I think so. Circle launched their cross chain transfer portal. Everyone's sleeping on this. I think it's one of the biggest announcements, I, I was going to say of the year, but we're only 27 days into the year. One of the biggest announcements in, in a while, like massive, massive, massive props to Circle. They're doing two really interesting things right now. They're um, uh, It's their own chain. One is their own chain that's like kind of semi-related to this. And then the other is um, is the cross-chain transfer portal. So just like major props to Circle for everything they're building. The TLDR on on this CCTP is they're calling it an on-chain utility Really, you can think of it like a bridge that basically burns USDC on the source chain and then mints native USDC on the destination chain. So the reason I think it's so cool is because bridging has been like just this colossal, not failure, but like honeypot for hacks. There are over $2 billion of bridge hacks in 2022 um, and, and I think bridges have like a been this honeypot for hacks, but they've really fractured liquidity. Like you've got like wormhole USDC and then like Axelar USDC It's really confusing from a, you, from a, a user experience point of view. So I think, uh, I think it's a pretty smart branding play by them, not calling it a bridge, calling it a utility for the space. I think that's pretty intentional. Um, and I think it'll unlock a lot of like liquidity across the industry. And I think it's really good for DeFi. the, the, Devil's advocate to what I'm saying is that the way I understood the way I understood it is that circle here serves as the ultimate source of truth. They they kind of serve as the minter, the burner, and the price oracle for USDC. Putting my crypto native, you know, want to build a permissionless future world like that doesn't seem great to me. Um, so mm-hmm. little torn on this, but I do think it's a it's a good innovation. Curious yeah. what you think of it.
1: I don't have a strong opinion here um, other than the last point you said is very true, but I'll take the practical approach. USDC, I think is a good product. I'm not endorsing it. I I use it. uh, Even though I know it's centralized, but yeah, I mean, they've proven to be very capable, competent long-term. Like we've had Jeremy on and I think he's he's a serious builder and has a serious organization behind it. So of course he has risks, but um, you know, Fairly interesting development. Uh, and it's it's actually the interesting that they've developed and gone in this direction, given everything that's happened in Bridgeland over the last year. And it's maybe one of those things where it's a spark, but a lot will be met with a lot of skepticism. Don't be surprised if a lot of people are highly critical of it because it's A, centralized and B, it's a bridge and has a whole like, like a yeah. wormhole and Ronin and all these things. But... I think that it's worth a critical look and, and obviously testing, but whatnot. not? But I think they'll do the right thing in terms of auditing and having maybe a, you know, a, a, a good set of like validators, if you will, to make this like increasingly decentralized and not fully yeah. centralized.
0: Yeah. It, I, I, it's interesting to think about what will happen for other bridges, right? Like other bridges could, I think, leverage CCTP to do native cross-chain swaps. Yeah. Like CCTP works for USDC because Circle happen, uh, happens to be both the asset issuer and the bridge operator but um it'll be yeah i'm curious to see what happens for other bridges mm-hmm. like i think i think bridge volumes across the board will probably get hurt by this um likely like no no one's going to realistically use a bridge when you can just burn usdc on chain a mint usdc on chain well, b unless you're like a true decentralization maxi or if circle is forced to kyc it well, then, then that changes things yeah
1: uh, assuming a lot of the bridge activity is for stable coins but the non-stable coin piece is still going to exist and support multiple other bridges i believe
0: yeah there's also something else that circle um is developing which is um Oh, what is uh what's it called? No, uh, Noble. Um, so the Circle's developing. So there's a chain that's like a general asset issuance chain called Noble, and it leverages the Cosmos hub for security through ICS. Um, and Circle, I, the way I understand it is Circle's the first company that's going to use Noble to mint USDC into Cosmos, and I think this is really important for. Uh, for cosmos because now you get native USDC inside the cosmos ecosystem um so good two good developments coming from circle yep long circle equity
1: <laughs> i had a chance to buy that really cheap last cycle did it
0: you did or you
1: didn't did not again mm. done a lot of mistakes in my investment i feel so you.
0: bad for you santi yes I feel so bad for you
1: hey man <laughs> we'll live to see another day
0: uh, okay. So that so that's that. Um, we might bring the Circle team on. We're talking to them about potentially coming on. I really want to do an episode with both Circle and then Antonio. Antonio resp- So Jeremy Allaire, the founder of Circle, tweeted this out. And then Antonio commented saying, DYDX would be excited to use CCTP on day one. If you prioritize supporting Cosmos, we'd use it for the main deposit and withdraw flow on DYDX. Hmm. Super cool first use case there. I think that's great. So thinking about having them on keep you posted all right the next thing is um we're gonna cruise through this and then i don't want to share too many thoughts on this because like i have kind of negative thoughts on doodle so doodles one of the biggest uh nft projects um they announced that they're moving to the flow blockchain or doodles 2 is launching on flow uh, doodles two is like, I think the way I understand it is going to span like millions of NFTs instead of the original 10,000 avatars in the first doodle series. I think the core doodles collection remains on ETH. Um, the reason that I forget the doodle founders, name, Julian, maybe, um, or Jordan, I think it's Julian, um, post posted this thread on why they chose flow, but a, there's like frictionless conversion, Scalable with zero transaction fees, pro- programming language enables customizations and dynamic NFTs. And as a reminder, Flow came out of uh, CryptoKitties. Crypto Kitties. If you remember Crypto Kitties in, in the end of 2017, Crypto Kitties like clogged the entire Ethereum blockchain. They created flow as an offshoot so that it went not as like a as a as a L1 that really like was built for, for NFTs. Um, and actually a lot of the Doodles team came from CryptoKitties and from Flow. So like, I think there's a little bit of background there, but uh, I don't know. This does feel like I don't really know the details. We'll have Doodles on to talk about this, but like, it does feel like there's a little I don't know that like Flow kind of just went to Doodles and was like, hey guys, we know you from back in the day. We really want you to come onto our chain. Doodles is probably like, I don't know. Like, nobody uses Flow. and No one really likes Flow. And then, Do- and then Flow's like, I mean, we'll give you like a lot of money we'll pay you 10 million bucks or 20 million bucks to come onto our chain. And, um, not that it's really a bad thing to, to take that, but it doesn't, I don't know, something about it is not really sitting right. And even in the announcement that they shared, I don't know if you read that, but like it felt a little apologetic and like really like we're like over, overly explainative on, on why they were moving to flow. It felt like very much like we're moving to flow, but like, but like, don't be mad at us. Like here are all the reasons why it's a good idea. Um, so i don't know I'm, I'm probably i might be reading into it too much but did want to share some of my candid thoughts there
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i don't have a strong opinion so yeah um i do want cool. to touch on one last piece of news i think it's an important thing that i want to pr- raise awareness to which is so kevin rose uh got hacked or well kevin rose signed a sick s- approved signed a signature that master was faking to be open, open seat. And then that allowed the, that allowed the, the attacker, if you will, to drain his wallet and, you know, sell these NFTs. So it was fairly sizable. I mean, he was able to salvage a few of like a zombie punk wasn't affected, but he lost like, Hmm. I think one to 2 million of of NFTs. He had in this wallet. There's two things I want to touch on here. One, it's not a hack. I think it is very important when we try to do a postmortem of what happened because it helps everyone in the space, right? Right. That it wasn't a hack. He he signed a sig. He like he he signed a signature that was faking. It was like a phishing attack, and I think it's different. And the distinction might appear like nuanced, but I think it's fundamental here. A hack is it could be like zero day or something much more like that would affect other people potentially, right? And so. I think this was as difficult as it may seem as, you know, it was just an omission, right? Because it was just a phishing attack, but it wasn't a hack. And I think it's important to make that distinction because as a community tries to, like, help each other in these type of situations, um, you know, what ended up happening here is he was, you know, there's this, like... Um, he signed an off-chain signature, created a listing for all of his OpenSea-approved assets. He had previously approved. OpenSea. Where, where did he sign that from? Though, like, where? Who was triggered him to sign this? So, so, okay. so it's this thing. Seaport is what it was announced like last year, and it was like marketed as a huge upgrade to what was possible both on and off OpenSea. So, kind of like allowed you more flexibility for trading assets, you know, and including like bulk trading for NFTs, sweeping floors. Um. And, it, you know, a lot of it, so it's, it's through Seaport allows anyone in this case, the attacker to create like this bundle, of like consolidating assets and offering a bunch of assets all at once. And so my understanding was, you know, it was, he was fish. He clicked this link. It appeared to be open It was just appeared to be like a harmless signature. He clicked it without looking and inspecting closely. And then that triggered uh, this transfer of NFTs. And then the attacker sold it for like 2 million bucks. And Hmm. so the thing, the learning here is one, be very careful on the links that you click. Uh, A lot of these are coming from Discord. A lot of them might appear to be new mints. And so whenever you're interacting with that, be careful in the links that you're clicking, always verify. Have bookmarks in place uh in your browser. And if it's not a bookmarked site, be very careful in what you're interacting And the second one, perhaps more fundamental, is why did he have all his NFTs in one wallet? Now, I understand you might want to showcase this in a museum type of fashion, but Yeah, I'm I'm with you. That felt like a flex. Like you <laughs> it, you only do that if you're trying to flex. And if you have it in an EOA, just a, not a multi-sig, be very careful. If you're gonna sell oh. one NFT and you have 20 NFTs, Transfer the single piece of NFT that you want to sell to one other wallet. And consider that wallet, the hot wallet, can interact with crazy batch of crazy contracts. Worst case, one, you lose one, not twenty. Yeah. And so it's really, really important folks, to it's really sad to see. You know, I, I hate to see this type of stuff and the, but we have to learn from it. And so it's just it can be avoided. Uh, A hack, not necessarily the zero day type of stuff. It's like, we're all going down. Like, you know, like you have to upgrade your browser kind of stuff. (laughs) You know, like uh, if it's like, you know, these password managers get hacked, like that, that's a hack, you know, that, that is like, will affect potentially millions of users. And it requires kind of critical, immediate attention to the security community. This wasn't a hack and so i think yep. it's important to make that distinction right
0: yeah 100% i have you ever used
1: revoke.cash oh yeah all the time i revoke access yeah. to everything all the time
0: yeah I, so i was going to recommend go go to revoke rev, you can go to revoke.cash to basically revoke access to any open contracts and approvals that you no longer like need or or, or want and uh, yeah would would definitely recommend people revoke all the all the smart contract approvals
1: that they don't need right now yeah please folks I will do that please if there was like a banner here of like <laughs> segregate <laughs> when you
0: plug yeah
1: segregate wallets like it costs nothing to have so many like create a new wallet Just yeah. do it folks don't you do not want to cut corners when it comes to security not how early the space is like these things can largely be avoided take time to learn and if you don't know and if you have any sort of doubt ask. I've always found that the, one of the nicest things about crypto is it's a very friendly, collaborative community. Even though there's maxis on both ends of the curve, largely a lot of people here are willing to help because we've all had that. There's like this idea that it, you, if you haven't been hacked, then you haven't been in crypto long enough. And it's just like a good assumption to take to heart because you just kind of have to assume that yeah. you're a target and just you have to be really aware of this stuff yeah agreed a good place to end uh i i I always recommend well i'll recommend the book quit which i referenced by annie duke great great read love to hear what other people think about this idea of quitting particularly as we're going through this bear market and whatever market psychology is like part of the cycle that we're in also apply to that and the second i saw this netflix documentary on tennis which was made by the same people of drive to survive it's called breakpoint pretty good actually that. pretty good not drive to survive but not, good. Dri- not drive to survive not, not drive- as good though not, i'm not, not as good <laughs> but and the third piece is drive to survive comes out next week or the following week so, yeah so go. why don't you go watch breakpoint <laughs> and if you think it's terrible yeah. it will at least kill some time to take off a madness that's happening in crypto and then just wait. If you don't like it, Drive to Survive is around the corner. So it's a warm-up. It's a chaser, whatever you want to call it for Drive to Survive, which we all know and love. So yeah. I will I
0: will stick with the sports content for you. And uh, I'm listening to a good podcast by the folks at Acquired. They did a three-and-a-half-hour deep dive into the business behind the NFL. Ooh. Really good podcast. So. Interesting. Yeah. There's, well, let's we'll put it in the show notes. That's how you know we're in a bear market is when we all of our content ah. is just tennis, F1, NFL. There you go. Bear market, baby. Oh, Santi, God. been Come a up. pleasure. All right. Coke, man. Great for listening. Pleasure. We will see
1: you guys next week. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Have a great weekend.